This is a special time for me Not just because of beauty that I see But it is the sign of a brand new start It marks a new beginning there for me I serve a God of new beginnings The God of a second start He will forgive if I will Give me a brand new start Long ago and many miles away At sunrise the stone was rolled away To show the world that Jesus Christ had won the victory He'd bought a new beginning there for me I serve a God of new beginnings The God of a second start He will forgive if I will confess He'll give me a brand new start I serve a God of new beginnings God of a second start He will forgive if I will confess He'll give me a brand new start He gave me a brand new start He'll give you a brand new start Numbers chapter 21, we're told that they journeyed toward the sun rising. Have you ever been stuck and wanted to get out and start all over? Last Monday, Molly and I drove up to Boone, North Carolina to stay a day at my brother's little cottage up in the wilderness. Late that evening, we took his four-wheel drive blazer up this mountain called Tater Hill and after viewing the beauty of the valley below, we decided to drive on over to the next mountain called Bald. We made our way through this little rocky, muddy road through the woods and finally came out in the clearing and drove on up on top of that mountain. And after enjoying that view, we got in the car and started back down the mountain. But this mud hole that I had come through successfully on the way up somehow I got stuck in it going down. And even with a four-wheel drive, we were unable to get ourselves out of that deep mud hole. In fact, night was coming on, and I said, Molly, we better get out of here because it was at least four miles or five miles, really, to the nearest house. And so we struck out walking and walked down that rocky, muddy road for about five miles. Well, it was not until the next day that we got the new start. Finally, after trying everything possible, a wrecker came and made its way through the woods and pulled us out, and so we were able, late Tuesday afternoon, to go back down the mountain and on our way to Morganton before returning here. Perhaps this has been your experience in one way or another. All of us from time to time in our Christian lives 
get stuck in the mud hole and want to get out and start all over again. The most unique and glorious feature of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that through our Savior we can find forgiveness and a new beginning. The Bible has a lot to say about new things, new life in Christ. Our living Lord said, Behold, I make all things new. This new life gives us hope. It caused Paul to break out in praise saying, The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. A great statesman, Winston Churchill, once said, If we cause the present to quarrel with the past, we will lose the future. In so many wonderful ways, the Bible describes God's forgiveness and the possibilities of beginning again. Those words in Isaiah 61, where the prophet, through the inspiration of God, spoke these words for the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, and listen to this, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You see, the devil turns beauty into ashes and joy into mourning and the house of the Lord into a burned out situation. But as the prophet spoke God's love to the people in that ancient day, he reminded them that God forgives and that there is a new beginning. He gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for heaviness, and a beautiful green growing tree for that which is burned out. Again and again, God seeks to illustrate this truth in the scriptures. And as I labored with what I should share with you this morning, my mind was directed to the book of Numbers as an illustration of God's love and forgiveness, the possibilities of beginning again. Now, if you will, for just a moment, get an overview of the book of Numbers. I'm going to be referring to several scriptures, and I do not want you to get lost in the verses from the movement and the message that we find in the entire book. As perhaps you Bible students are aware, the book of Numbers tells us about the old generation, their rebellion, failure, and sin. It's the story of what happened from the time that they left Sinai until they came to Kadesh Barnea. And then Moses tells of God's judgment and discipline upon a wayward people. And here in chapters 15 through 20, is the record of the wanderings of God's people. But then as we come to chapter 21, and here is the chapter in which we find the verse that I read, they journeyed toward the sun rising. Here is the beginning of a new day, a new journey to fulfill the purpose of God in their lives as His people. And so as you see the story of Numbers, it presents to us so wonderfully how it is that God can take the ashes and turn them into beauty and mourning for sin and turn it into the joy of gladness. 
how it is that he can take the broken, messed up pieces of life and still accomplish his purpose in the lives of people. And so would you this morning glean with me from this fourth book in the Bible a message that points each of us to God's love and forgiveness and the new beginning that he will give to each of our lives and to our church. After the numbering of God's people, you see, God is a God of organization. He is not the God of confusion. Then we find in the book of Numbers the instructions, the appointment of the Levites, the princes, and so forth. God's people have only traveled now three days from Sinai. They've not gone very far until we find in chapter 11, turn there if you will, that their carnal nature, their unbelief, surfaces. And it's the beginning of the failure that brings them to 38 years of judgment. There in chapter 11, we're told that when the people complained that it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, the first evidence that their heart was not right with God was that the people murmured, complained, criticized. They spoke against their leaders. They spoke against one another. They spoke against God. James tells us that the tongue is a little member. But behold, what a great fire it kindles. It sets the whole course of nature on fire because of his awareness of his weakness to say things that were not right. The psalmist said, Lord, place a watch over my lips. Because the people complained and gossiped and slandered, so God was displeased with them. As you look at verse 4, you will notice that still there is another aspect of their sin. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who's going to give us flesh to eat? You see, not only did they complain about the way that they had to travel, but they complained about the food that God gave them. And because their physical hungers, their lust, became so important, life got out of perspective. Instead of being thankful for what they had, they complained against God for what he had given them. You see, one of the real problems for all of us is to be submissive to the will of God in whatever way God's will leads. And as we read on, we find that after a while, the monotony of eating that manna so disturbed them that Again, they offered to Moses and to God their complaint. You mean again we've got to eat manna this morning. It's manna at, in the morning, it's manna at noon, and it's manna at night. And even when they had a snack at night before they went to the bed, it was nothing but manna. You see, another evidence of people's hearts not being right with God is that they are not thankful for what they have. They complain about what God gives them. You see, bit by bit, here was a people who were allowing the rebellion of their hearts to be expressed in one way or another toward God. Finally, we discover in chapter 12 that this murmuring also got to the leaders of the children of Israel. And here we find the story of how Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because he had taken an Ethiopian woman as his wife. And so division developed among the leaders of 
the nation of Israel. And wherever there is division, it does not please God. Paul had a great deal to say about the unity of the body. And yet we are reminded, not only was there division among leaders in this ancient day, but even Paul himself, we're told in Acts 15, had such a sharp contention with Barnabas that they went their way. But this is not God's ideal. This is not God's norm. And wherever there is rebellion and slander and division, it does not please God. It frustrates the purpose of God in the lives of people. As the people fail bit by bit, all that has taken place brings them now to a state of confusion and unbelief. The Bible calls us, you see, to walk by faith. But it's the devil's purpose to erode our ability to trust God to bring us to a point of confusion and fear that we will not really lean upon God. And so in chapter 13, we have that story that you're familiar with, how Moses appointed 12 to go out and spy out the land of Canaan, and they came back with reports. But here's one time that the majority was wrong. The majority saw that land through the eyes of the flesh, didn't they? And they said it is all that God said, but we cannot take it. The people there, they're giants. But then there were those two, Joshua and Caleb, who saw the land through the eyes of faith. And they said, verse 30, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But because of the state of confusion, the failure, the sin, the division, the rebellion, the people would not trust God. They would not move forward to possess what God had given them. As we come to chapter 15, we find, or 14, we find even another expression of their broken fellowship and confusion and unbelief. Here we find the story of a man who broke the Sabbath day. Friends, even though you and I are under grace, yet still there is a divine principle that a mark of our deep faith and obedience to God is expressed when we give ourselves to Him in worship and service one day a week. There's a verse over there in Jeremiah that says, Cursed is the man who does the work of God deceitfully. One translation says, Cursed is the man that does God's work half-heartedly. And the real problem with Christians in this church today is that we half-heartedly keep the Lord's day. We half-heartedly worship and serve Him. Because if the usual takes place, about half of you will spend the rest of this day doing things for yourself that you enjoy, rather than keeping God's day as He has commanded. And so you see all of this created anger, displeasure. And so we find at the end of chapter 14 that God said, As truly as I live, verse 28, As ye have spoken in my ear, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And so beginning with chapter 15 through chapter 20, we find that God allows His people to find the hardness, the dryness, the disappointments of the desert in wandering aimlessly. God's judgment came upon them. Even though they were moving, yet they were only marking time. They were not making history. They were not fulfilling the great purpose for which God had delivered them out of Egypt. Their sin had frustrated the purpose of God. And I must share with you another incident in chapter 20 that 
further contributes to the confusion, the rebellion, and unbelief of God's people. In the midst of their journey, we find there in verse 2 that there was no water. And as a result of the murmuring and complaining and the hostility of the people, we find there in verse 6 it is, Moses and Aaron get on their knees and they cry out to God. And God's glory appears once again. And as God speaks to his servants, he, he says to Moses, All right, Moses, now you take the rod, you assemble the people. And the rod, as you know, was the symbol of the power of God. Moses, you take that rod and speak the word, and from the rock water will flow out to meet the needs of the people. But what did Moses do? There in verse 11 or 10, Moses who did not really believe that God was adequate for the situation, who did not trust the means that God had given, the rod and the spoken word, said to the people, Hear now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with the rod he smote the rock twice. As Paul makes application of the story of the book of Numbers in 1 Corinthians 10, you remember that he said, and that rock was Christ. The rock was a type or a symbol of the continuing presence of the eternal Christ who was with his people to meet their physical and spiritual needs even in the midst of their rebellion and wilderness wanderings. And you see, Christ on the cross has already been smitten one time, has he not? And for a man to doubt that, is, as the book of Hebrews, to crucify afresh the Lord Jesus. That is, it is to say, the sacrifice of Jesus, the adequacy of our Savior is insufficient. And so it was that Moses committed a grievous sin. And the reason for his sin, verse 12, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Because you believe me not, you have so acted impatiently. You have so dealt in the flesh with people. You have failed and sinned. And so it was that God pronounced his judgment upon his people, his leaders, Moses and Aaron. Dear people, as we consider in Numbers a new beginning, the sin of people, the division of leaders, as we look at the wanderings of God's people, I stand here today to confess my own sin and unbelief. Now what my sin is, some of you have surmised, but really what it is before God is nothing but failing to believe that God is adequate to handle any situation or any individual. And out of all of the confusion, the unbelief, the wanderings, I am guilty. And I offer to you my sincere apology. This thing has wrung the life out of me for more than 18 months. You know, every year, according to a report, there is a thousand Southern Baptist preachers who leave the ministry. And I can understand that because the devil has used every kind of temptation in my own life to run away from the problems. And if I'd had my human druthers, I would have not have been a, a part of the situation that has brought the wanderings, the judgment of God. But as I look at my own heart, 
The only thing that I can say to you is in the words of Annie Johnson Flint, I don't look back. God knows the fruitless efforts, the wasted hours, the sinning, the regrets. I leave them all with him who blots the record and mercifully forgives and then forgets. I don't look forward. God sees all the future. The road that short or long will lead me home. And he will face with me its every trial and bear for me the burdens that may come. But I look up into the face of Jesus, for there my heart can rest. My fears are stilled and there is joy and love and the light for darkness and perfect peace and perfect hope fulfilled. There was a new day, a new beginning for God's people in that ancient time. And so this brings us to the third division of the book, the new generation. God had to do something in the lives of his nation and even with his leaders before they could move on. And so in the third division of the book, we find the movements of God's people from Kadesh to the plains of Moab, which was just beside the river Jordan that they were to cross to go into the land of Canaan. And so, if you will, look with me at the new journey, the new day, the dreary days of sinning and regrets was now behind them. God's people were ready to move on. God offered to them, as He does to each of us, a fresh start, forgiveness, and a new beginning. First of all, we find there in verse 3 that there was a new response of God to their cry. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel. Thirty-eight years had passed, and God turned a deaf ear to their cry. But now at last the people seemingly had learned their lesson. And now it was that out of the earnestness of their hearts, they cried out for God to hear them and do something in their midst. And so there is a new response to God, of God, to a sincere heart. He says, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And whenever God sees that we mean it, that we're desperate, then it is that there is a new response of God to our praying. Then as you read on in that verse, you find also that there was a new victory. He hearkened and delivered up the Canaanites. These he utterly destroyed. You see, when in sin and rebellion and unbelief they turned their faces from Canaan, their enemies ate them up. But now in a new commitment and, and faith in the Lord, as the people turned their faces toward Canaan, God begins to deal with their enemies. And isn't it interesting in our lives and in our ministry that when we walk in obedience and faith that God takes care of the enemies. And it so happened that he defeated the Canaanites at Hormah, and literally that was the mount where they disobeyed and said, no, we cannot possess the land. But now when they came back to that point and believed God and obeyed God, God took care of these enemies that stood in the way. And always there is new victory when a heart is right and when God is on the throne and when people are living in obedience to his word. Not only do we find 
a new response of God, a new victory over their enemies. But there is a beautiful story, the new mercies, and a new song that God gave them. Over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as Paul reviews what took place among God's people in that ancient days, he says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they're written, written here in the book of Numbers, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are to come, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now the Greek word for examples there is to poil. That's the word that is translated elsewhere as type. And so Paul is saying what happened in the book of Numbers is a type, it's a symbol, it's a message for us. And we need who in our self-sufficiency to realize how God deals with people so that we will not commit the same sins. There in chapter 21, beginning with verse 4, is the record of numbers, is the record of those new mercies. The people had not gotten very far until again their old sinful nature, their unbelief, caused them to complain and to murmur against God and against his servant Moses. There it is in chapter 5. You see, even though we failed in the past, sin is ever with us. And even though we want it to be different, yet friends, as long as we're in the flesh, sin is going to remain with God's people. But what God looks at is your heart and the direction of your life. And because the people had come to a new commitment and trust in the Lord, this time instead of God pronouncing judgment, new mercies came. And those mercies are described in what you know as the brazen serpent. God sent serpents, poisonous snakes that bit the people. Folks were dying all over the place. But when God's servant cried for the people, God told him to take a brass serpent and put it up on a pole and every person that would look would be healed. Now what does that type, what is that a type of? John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he goes on to say that whoever believes in him will not perish but have life. And so when God's people came to themselves and started out afresh, God heard them, God gave them victory, and God gave them His continuing mercy. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And Jesus Christ, who died for sin, my friend, died not only for my past sin, but He died for the sin that I'll commit today and the sin that I'll commit tomorrow. You see, my Savior forgives and gives us all a new beginning so that we can journey on toward the sunrise instead of giving up and becoming a victim of Satan. But there is still another type. And would you indulge me these additional moments, even though it's past the noon hour, here in the same chapter is another picture that presents another meaningful type that we need 
to accept and appropriate. Once again, the people were without water. And again, we find that Moses goes to God in prayer. And God tells Moses to bring the people to that rock from which was flowing water. And as the people came and drank, they began to sing. Look at it there in verse 17. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing unto it. The princes digged the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. Now if you check the scripture, you'll find that this is the first time that God's people had sung in 30 or in 40 years. There'd been a lot of sign, there'd been a lot of criticism, there'd been a lot of gossip, but they'd had no real song. But now they began to sing. And the meaning of this, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10:4, and that rock was Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is eternal. He was before he was incarnate. And just as he is with us today, he was with his people in that ancient day. And the rock, Paul says, with the water flowing from it, is, simple, is simply a picture of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. Now look at a further explanation of that type over in John chapter 7, verse 37 and following. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And John tells us that he spake this of the Holy Spirit. You see, the significance for you and me as we are in a new journey of this well of water, from which God's people were drinking, is that it's a picture of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit. Are you thirsty in this dry and thirsty land? Are you tired of the hardness of this arid pilgrimage? Do you want to experience the newness of life in Jesus Christ? Do you want to walk afresh into the very presence and will of God, Jesus says, and if any man thirst, let him come and drink. You see, Jesus Christ is available in the person of the Holy Spirit to flood your life and mine. Not only is the cross there for forgiveness, but the Holy Spirit comes to fill and to flood a life to give us what's needed in the days to come. And so God's people experienced a new beginning. There came also a new organization, the new numbering, and new and additional instructions as God continued to work out His purpose in their lives. Susan Coolridge said many, many years ago in a poem, Every day is a fresh beginning. Every morn is the world made new. You who are heavy of sorrow and sinning, here is a beautiful hope for you.
a hope for me and a hope for you. Every day is a fresh beginning. Listen, my soul, to the glad refrain. And in spite of old sorrow and older sinning and puzzles forecasted and possible pain, take heart with the day and begin. God will give a new beginning to your life. I know of a single adult in this church whose life has been twisted with sin. A divorce has come, a traumatic experience has wiped the children out through the grace and mercy of God. Through the cross and the Holy Spirit, this individual has found a new life, a new beginning. And what God's done for others, he can do for you. I know of churches and you know of churches that have floundered, that have sinned, that have failed. But God, when the people would call out, would hear and work, and now those churches are mighty armies that are moving forward to accomplish the perfect will of Jesus Christ. And they journeyed toward the sun rising. Will you turn your face toward the S? in and allow his cross and his Holy Spirit to do in your life what is needed. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. The hymn that we sing is 176. Today, if you have a decision that you need to make for Christ and the church, we hope you'll step out and make that public and share with us your decision to go with God's people, to go with God. Let's stand in